good evening. It's good to see everybody that's here in person. Glad to have you with us uh, online there, uh, whether you're on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, uh, any of those platforms that you're on there, be sure to heart to like, to share, follow us, subscribe to us, uh, comment, especially comment there. Uh, that also just helps with all those algorithms that they have on each one of those platforms to get the word out even more. So be sure to don't just give us a thumbs up. Uh, if you like the messages here, give us some comments there, especially tonight we're doing our, our Wednesday night prayer time. If you have any prayer requests, we want you to share those on our Facebook page. You can do that on YouTube or on Twitter, but we'll only see them in the live on Facebook. So be sure to go ahead and get your comments there for any prayer requests or any updates to those that are on the prayer list so we can share those uh, with others uh, tonight. And then welcome to those who are listening on our phone live streaming. Glad to have you with us also. If you need that number, we'll be glad to give that to you. You can call the church office. You can see me after the worship service. I'll be glad to give that to you. If you do have access at home to our church website, uh, if you're on one of those other platforms there, be sure uh, to go to our website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info link there uh, that you can download the worship bulletin. You can download the children's worship bulletin. So be sure to get those downloaded. You can share those with anybody you want. Paper copies are in the windowsills. Uh, so be sure to do that. And also under that info tab is the prayer list for tonight. So be sure you get that downloaded so that you can be able to follow along with our prayer list uh, tonight also. And while you're there on the church website, go to that far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab there. You can set up your giving online, recurring gift, one-time gift. There's some designations you can give there too to our budget offerings, to other things. So be sure uh, to, to go ahead and do your offerings there. If you need to do your offerings in person, the envelopes are in the windowsills and you can place that in the offering plate uh, before you leave tonight. And then don't forget, we have our golden offering for Tennessee Missions. So be sure and be praying about giving uh, towards that as well as continuing to pray for the missions efforts across our state. These are in the windowsills too. You can pick up one of those and it tells you all about our mission work across the state through our Tennessee Baptist Convention. I think that's it. Brother Mike, if you'll come. Good evening, everybody. Take your hymnals and turn to 202. All hail the power of Jesus' name. All, we'll do all four. Ms. Pat? Let every kindred and 
had a chance to get your prayer list uh, downloaded. Um, Miss Pat, can you grab me a pen from out of the office? A pen. So be sure, again, if you're at home, uh, comment on Facebook. I'm on Facebook so that I can follow along there if you have any uh, prayer requests that we need to mention. Uh, I do have some uh, that I need to share with you, uh, some updates. Uh, let me get to some of those here. Uh, we do want to remind you that um, Mark uh, Smith's dad uh, passed away. They're going to be doing a service uh, for him, a memorial service, um, next Monday uh, back in North Carolina there. So be in prayer for them that he's back home right now, uh, but then he'll be going back to North Carolina for that. So be in prayer for him as his father uh, passed away. Uh, so want to remember him. That's over on our friends and family side that I wanted to remind you of. Brother Wilbur Warren, uh, he has um, had uh, some issues going on. Uh, he is Bill Warren's uh, brother, uh, so we want to remember him. Thank you. We want to remember him in our prayers uh, as he uh, continues with some of his issues. Bill is on the uh, Highland Baptist Church family side. Uh, they had found that he has cancer, had some biopsies done. Uh, and I've not heard any of the results yet from those biopsies, um, but they will still have to do a procedure uh, on him soon. So we want to remember him in prayer as well as there's several others that are going through some tests. Hilda Corley, Jewel Farrell, uh, they're both got some upcoming tests. I think Hilda had several uh, for three weeks in a row uh, and Jewel had several also. And then Sandra is recovering at home. She's uh, seems to be doing uh, fairly well from uh, what she had been in the hospital before for, but still needing to get her, her kidney uh, operation done uh, for her kidney stones. And uh, just pray that everything will work out with that, with her insurance and such. Phil Henderson's doing well uh, in healing from his knee uh, surgery. Uh, Carolyn Waller still has some medical issues, but still uh, improving there uh, also. Uh, and then David Hess is getting closer uh, to the end of his treatments. They believe that it'll be the end of October, the very first of November, that he'll be doing his surgery on his heart to remove the tumor there. So I uh, want to continue to remember him uh, in your prayers as well as his dad, Jim Hess. And then um, one that I received from Donna uh, Jackson from Bernice Cox's daughter, or daughter-in-law, what's her name? Um, they moved down to Alabama, Lori. Yes, came from Lori uh, updating us on her mom, um, Bernice Cox. Uh, she said that mom is not doing well, and this was received today, uh, and this week has gone down fast. Uh, she's now bedridden, not eating, very weak, talks very little sleeps 20 hours or so a day. Uh, she said, at least I know she's a child of the King and will be with him in a far better place. And again, she really appreciates all of our prayers and for keeping her mom on our prayer list and mailing list. 
uh, and uh, she said at this point she doesn't even know if she knows who she is. And so just continue to keep uh, Bernice in your prayers uh, as well as uh, that family. So any others that we need to mention? Let me move back over to Facebook and see if there's any comments there. Just some good evening comments. <laughs> any other updates or any other prayer requests that we have here? Do want to continue to remember Susie Barton uh, as she continues to recover uh, from her fall. Uh, remember uh, Miss um, Beverly Daniels as she uh, broke some ribs there, so keep her in your prayers too as she fell. I don't know of any others. Anybody here? I don't see any others online, so let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer for these. I want to remember our youth, I want to remember our children in Awana, and so let's uplift all of those things uh, in our prayers. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for the many blessings that you have given to us. We thank you for your love, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your mercy. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would uh, make your presence known to us tonight, uh, showing us, showing us, Lord, any sin within our hearts that we might confess those things before you, seeking your forgiveness and asking, Lord, for you to just change our hearts and change our lives in a powerful way. Father, I pray that you will forgive us of all of our sin, set us on, a, set us on the path of righteousness uh, for your name's sake. May we glorify and honor you in all that we say and all that we do. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would uh, hear our prayers, especially those prayers on behalf of those uh, who are on our prayer list that we mentioned tonight, others that we haven't mentioned, maybe some unspoken needs that we even have represented here or online. And so we just want to uplift all those needs to you, Lord. We know that you are capable and able uh, to meet all those needs. You have told us in your word, your grace is sufficient for all of our needs. So we pray for your grace to be upon each one of these individuals. Some of these may have some uh, road ahead of them, some journey ahead of them as they're going through uh, the valleys that they're facing, as well as uh, maybe even there's those that are facing the valley of the shadow of death. We know, Lord, that those there are those who have gone through that valley and are there with you now. And so, Father, we pray that you would be with those families that are left. Uh, Lord, that you would just comfort and encourage their hearts and let them know that you are with them. Embrace them in your love and give them a peace that passes all understanding. Father, we pray for the healing of each one of these that are on our prayer list continually. You are the great physician, so we ask you to divinely intervene and touch their lives and bring that healing to their bodies in a powerful way. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would just continue to work in each one of these people's hearts. We don't pretend to know their spiritual situation. There may be some on this list, Lord, who don't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And so we ask, Lord, that you would use these situations uh, to help them to find no other place to turn but to you. And may you uh, bring salvation to their hearts and to their lives. They may have family members, Lord, who don't know Christ. And so I pray that as their loved ones are going through these situations, as you are working about your miracles in these individuals' lives, that you'll use that as a testimony and a witness to them of, of an even greater miracle that you can bring in their lives of salvation. And so, Father, we just pray for your hand to be upon these individuals. Give them strength, Lord. Give them health. Uh, help them if they have to continue to press forward through these things. Give them the strength to keep pressing forward in your power and in your presence. Father, we pray for those that are in the nursing homes, 
We ask, Lord, for your, your blessings to be upon them in a special way, Lord. We ask for you to just continue to encourage them and comfort them in their hearts. Father, be with our children who are in Awana. Be with all those workers with them. And we pray, God, that they will learn more about you. They'll, they'll learn more of your word, hiding your word in their hearts, that they might not sin against you. We pray for our youth, uh, Lord, as they are uh, having, a, having Bible study tonight, too. Lord, give them a hunger uh, and thirst for you also as they're gathered uh, together uh, tonight with some other youth groups. Father, we pray that uh, you'll be with them and, and just give our, our youth of our community uh, a hunger and thirst for you. Father, we pray for the leaders of our youth groups and ask for your blessings upon them tonight as they're gathered for FCA. Father, we pray that you will uh, just continue to bless that ministry, grow that ministry in a powerful way, and Lord, we pray for your will to be done. So lead us tonight, Lord, as we come to study your word again in the book of Zephaniah. We pray, God, that it'll be alive, it'll be powerful, it'll be sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, that it'll pierce our hearts, that it'll be applicable to where we live, and help us, Lord, to learn to live in the truth of your word with the expectations, Lord, towards the future uh, in being with you in heaven. So, Father, bless us tonight as we study your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen and amen. We'll take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Zephaniah. Uh, Zephaniah, if you don't know where that's at, find the book of Matthew and just go back about three, four books. It's a very small book there to find. It's uh, just three chapters. Uh, if you find Zechariah, just go back two books and you'll be there. So tonight we're in Zephaniah chapter 3. Close a few things here. Actually, let me bring Facebook back up so I can check that at the very end. Okay, so remind me to do have a prayer request to share there from Facebook at the very end. All right, so Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 1 down through verse 20. I've entitled this message tonight God's final plans God's final plans and you're going to see that as we get into it so we just want to read verse one to start with and then we'll get into the rest of the verses as we continue on so the verse first begins in chapter three woe to her who is rebellious and defiled the oppressing city uh, when you read that verse you know our natural inclination we would be to think we must be talking about some wicked city. Maybe he's talking about Nineveh. He has talked about Nineveh uh, in the book of Zephaniah before. Maybe he's talking about Babylon. Maybe that's who he's mentioning here. But we're going to find out here that this is not uh, who he's mentioning here in verse 1. The very city that he's mentioning here that is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city, is the holy city of God, Jerusalem. And, and that's, that's astounding to us as we come to this. But we learn here, why did the prophets consistently close their books with a message of hope? Well, there was at least three reasons when you read these, especially these minor prophets, uh, why they closed their books with a message of hope. To begin with, uh, hope is a great motivation for, for obedience, for following the Lord. And the prophets wanted to encourage God's people uh, to submit to God's will and to do what he had commanded. Because that covenant blessing would come then to his people only when they obeyed his covenant conditions. 
So that's one of the reasons. Another reason is that the prophets uh, are emphasizing uh, the faithfulness of God. Uh, the Lord will keep his promise. So there's leaving it with a message of hope to remind the people that although judgment is coming, there are some good things that are going to come because God is a faithful God. He is going to keep his promises. And one day he is going to establish his kingdom. And since God is faithful to keep his promises, we ought to be faithful in obeying his word. If we don't obey, God will be faithful to discipline. If we confess, he will be faithful to forgive. And that's a message you're going to see over and over here uh, in the book of Zephaniah, especially here in chapter 3. But there's a third reason uh, that they close the message with hope. Uh, it's as an encouragement to the faithful remnant in the land who were true to God and who were suffering because of their devotion to him. You know, it's difficult to, to belong to that company of the committed who stand true to God uh, and, and his word, no matter what others may do and no matter what they may do to them. Uh, knowing that God would one day defeat their enemies and, and that one day they, he would reign and they would reign with him in righteousness would encourage those believers, that remnant, in their persistence in their faithful walk with the Lord. So in this last chapter... God reveals his plans for Jerusalem, for the Gentile nations, and for the faithful remnant. Those are the three things we're going to see as our, our major points here. The message, the plan for the Jerusalem, uh, for the Jews, the plan for the Gentile nation, and the plan for the faithful remnant. So at the same time that the Lord is revealing himself and his gracious working on behalf of his people in every age and every place, notice God's final plans first for Jerusalem. Notice, that, notice God's jealous anger in verse 1 down through verse 8. Now, Jerusalem is commonly called the holy city, but in Zephaniah's day, there wasn't a whole lot of holiness in the city of Jerusalem. So let's read, if you will, verse 1 down through verse 8. So again, verse 1 says, Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled the oppressing city. That's astounding that he's talking about Jerusalem. Then verse 2 he says, she, sh she listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. He says, I have cut off nations, their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me, you will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more, they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. 
Now, as we said there, there's not a lot of holiness going on in Jerusalem. There were other prophets named Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They're giving the same assessment of Jerusalem in their day. So when you read their prophetical books, that's what you're going to see. Even the Gentiles themselves. So who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are the people who are outside the family of God. So if you're not a Jew, you're outside. You're, it doesn't matter what other nationality you are or what other nation you are, you're considered a Gentile in biblical perspective. And so even the Gentiles call Jerusalem a rebellious and wicked city in Ezra chapter 4 and verse 12 and verse 15. And they could give the proof of their statement. We see in verse 1 and verse 2 here that they were a sinning people. Instead of being a holy city, instead of being holy to God like they were supposed to be, this city was filthy. It was polluted because of the shameful sin within it. And instead of bringing peace, in fact, that's what Jerusalem means. Jerusalem means city of peace. And instead of bringing peace, this city was guilty of rebellion. They were guilty of oppression. And so God was giving his people the revelation of himself in his word and his mighty acts. And over and over, he keeps showing himself to them. Over and over, he keeps sending prophets to them to warn them. And they didn't believe him. They didn't seek him. We see the same thing in the New Testament, though. For us as New Testament believers, because here's what James writes in his letter in James chapter 4 and verse 8. He says, draw near to God, for he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Our tendency so often is not to draw near to God. Our tendency so often is just like the people of Jerusalem, is to turn our backs upon God, even though he shows himself faithful to us over and over and over, we find ourselves a sinning people. We also see that this is a godless, they have a godless leadership. Uh, that's what you see there uh, in verse 3 uh, and verse 4 uh, when he talks here about her officials are like roaring lions, her judges are evening wolves, her prophets are fickle, her priests profane. So over and over he's going up the ladder listing all the, the leaders. Uh, God expected the civil leaders and the religious leaders of the land to take his word seriously. He expected them to lead his people in the way of righteousness, to be an example. Uh, I shared this with our kids in CDC uh, and uh, tonight here in Awana a while ago with our Bible study because our, we were talking about Paul writing letters to the New Testament churches uh, to remind them, especially to Titus and Timothy, to be an example, to be a leader and be an example. And we were talking about, you know, how when you're in uh, little kids' classes, sometimes you got a line leader. Uh, and if the line leader is just... That's, that's not a leader to follow. Uh, you, you, they don't even know where they're going. You don't, and, and we do that so often in our lives. It's a picture of us spiritually. We're just wandering, it seems, aimlessly through life and not ever being the example of Christ to the world around us. And so instead of being leaders and giving an example to the people of here's how you're supposed to live, here's how you make right choices in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, instead these leaders, they're acting like a bunch of wild animals in the way that they were oppressing the people and taking what they wanted from him. We find out that the prophets, the people who were supposed to be sharing the word of God, they were unfaithful to 
to the Lord and to his word. And they were dealing treacherously with the people. Uh, they didn't proclaim God's truth. They were only preaching what people wanted to hear. Does that sound like today? As for the priests, the ones who were ministering in the, in the tabernacle and, and in, in the temple at this time, uh, as for the priests, their ministry was a toxic ministry. Their ministry polluted the sanctuary. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 25 to 28. I don't have these verses on the screen, just our, our Zephaniah verses. Uh, but if you have your Bibles and can turn there, uh, you could just jot this down in your notes so you could go back to it. But Matthew chapter 23 and verse 25 through verse 28 tells us what Jesus himself said about the Pharisees in his day. The Pharisees were those who were also supposed to be religious leaders. He talks this about the, the scribes also. And he says in verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside, they're full of greed and, and self-indulgence. It's kind of like you go to the, if, if you wash your dishes in the sink or if you go to the dishwasher and you, you get the dishes out after they're supposedly washed, they look good on the outside, but you look inside and there's still food inside it. It's nastiness. And, and that's what he's saying here is they're full of greed, they're full of self-indulgence on the inside. He says in verse 26, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. So he's not saying that the outside shouldn't be clean. He's just saying get the inside clean first because that's what matters. He's talking about spiritually in our own hearts and our own lives. And so woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, he says, for you are like whitewashed tombs. It's like taking a grave and whitewashing it with white paint on the outside, making it sparkly, making it look all nice. But you know what's still inside? Dead men's bones. It's still full of dead men's bones. It can be beautiful on the outside, but unclean on the inside and so he says so you also outwardly you appear righteous to others but within he says to them you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness and so instead of serving God and, and doing things for his glory the priests they were taking the word of God the laws of God and they were twisting it to please themselves they were twisting it so they could gain what they wanted and, and, and that's, you see that all throughout Jesus' ministry, uh, th that he's always having to go back to tell them, uh, you think this way or you may say this, but let me tell you what God's word really says here about how you're to do. Uh, you know, so uh, he, he even gives that illustration uh, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember, all the spiritual leaders keep walking by the man who's here, and it's the Samaritan who comes by and ministers to this man who's been beaten, the, the one who nobody wanted anything to do with. They didn't want anything to do with Samaritans. That's the one who comes and ministers to this man who's been beaten. And so he's saying here, they, they twist the word. These people were saying, well, I don't have time. I have to go serve. Remember the priest, was he was in a hurry to go serve. And, and, and he said, I don't have time to mess with this man. Uh, the Levite also uh, saying the same thing. And so uh, they would twist it to please themselves, twist it to gain what they wanted. And the tragedy is, is that God had spoken uh, to his people and he had corrected them in discipline and yet they still wouldn't listen or obey. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 23 and verse 24. Again, this won't be on your screen, but you may want to write it down. Leviticus 26, verse 23 and 24. Here's what God had already said to the Jewish people. He says, and if by this discipline, 
So in other words, when you receive discipline from me, when you've strayed from me, when you've sinned against me, and I bring discipline against you, if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but you walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you, and I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. And that's the picture of what Zephaniah is giving us here in these verses in verse 3 and verse 4 is that over and over and over God has disciplined his people you know it's kind of like that child that you just keep getting on to him and you keep getting on to him and it just seems like it doesn't do any good they don't get the message uh, they're not understanding what to do right versus wrong here were God's people who were doing the same thing and we do the same thing too God brings discipline to our lives we find ourselves in some uh, dire situation we cry out to the Lord, Lord, get me out of this, and I won't ever do it again. <laughs> and we go right back and do it again, don't we? This was the message of Jeremiah to the city of Jerusalem, even while Babylon was poised to attack. And so we see uh, sinning people, we see uh, a godless leadership, and then we also see now a righteous God in verse 5 down through verse 8. Because God says, I am holy, and he's saying, the Lord within her is righteous. God is still righteous. He doesn't do any injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice, verse 5. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. In other words, understand this. The city of Jerusalem was identified with the name of God. You know, it's like us. What do we call our, what are we called? Christians. That means I represent who? Christ. In fact, Christian means likened to Christ but lesser than. And so God's name was identified with the city and with the temple, and yet it was like a cesspool of sin. There are a lot of people who profess Christ with their lips. They profess that I'm a Christian, but when you look at the life, it's far from what Christ looks like. So God would have uh, to act in judgment here on Jerusalem for his own name's sake. These wicked officials, think about it, they would meet at the city gate morning after morning to transact their, their evil business, and the Lord was there. The Lord saw everything. There was nothing they could hide from him. Uh, so, so he waited patiently. Uh, you know, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And, and so uh, he was there to see their deeds. He waited patiently, and yet they would not repent and turn to him for the cleansing that he offered freely to them. And so since the Lord reminded his people that he had judged the Gentiles and cut off the nations, as you see there in verse 6, he was able to cut Judah off as well. He says, I did this to the others, and I'll certainly do it to you also. In fact, the Jews were more guilty than the Gentiles were before the Lord had given Israel more truth and more blessing. You know, to him who is given much and, and received much, much is required. You know, we have, as believers today, we have the Word of God. You can read God's Word and you can see God's Word tells you over and over things you should do, things you shouldn't do, how you should live, how you shouldn't live. You have no excuse when you read God's Word. We've been given God's Word. And we are more guilty than those out there who've never received God's Word. The people were sinning. 
They were sinning against a flood of the light of God's truth into their lives. And so surely God's judgment of the other nations should have alerted Judah themselves. It should have awakened the Jews to what was about to happen to them. And yet the Bible tells us here in Zephaniah's book here, they didn't pay any attention. I mean, think about it. They were God's covenant people, and he would protect them from their enemies. But they forgot that covenant privileges, with covenant privileges, also comes covenant responsibilities. And, and so the Lord concludes this message to Jerusalem in verse 8. It's kind of like a courtroom scene here in which he stands to testify against his people. Uh, so the coming, na the nation of Babylon is getting ready to come uh, against Jerusalem itself. Now remember Assyria has already gone back up north to fight against some enemies that the Lord had sent against them, uh, gotten them away from Jerusalem. And so it wasn't yet time. He was giving his people another opportunity to repent. But here was Babylon who was rising up behind the wings uh, of the world nations and they began to rise up and they began to overtake uh, Assyria, the, the Medes and the Persians do, and then the Babylonians uh, come in and take over them. Uh, and so while this coming Babylonian captivity is involved in what he's saying here in verse 8, there is also an end time application here. Uh, in the battle of Armageddon when all the nations of the world are going to converge against Jerusalem and God is going to pour out his wrath upon those nations. He's going to deliver his people and establish his kingdom. And, and we'll see that again when we come to the book of Zechariah after we go through the book of Haggai. Uh, and so God is going to pour out his anger, his jealous anger is going to burn like a fire against all those who resist his truth and destroy and disobey his word. That's what he's talking about in verse 8 there. He's going to pour out my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy all the earth shall be consumed. And that's what he's talking about, the end times there. So in the first part of this book, he had been talking about the judgment of the Lord. And, and now in chapter 3 and verse 9, all of a sudden the scene begins to brighten. All of a sudden, we're now on the other side, and he promises the joy of the Lord. And so we see here uh, the Gentiles. Uh, we're going to see God's gracious forgiveness even uh, towards them. So notice verse 9. He says, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord, and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, now we talked a little bit about this last week, where is Cush? Cush is far south. Cush is actually down in Egypt. So it's beyond the rivers. It would be beyond the Nile River, uh, beyond those rivers down there separating them from uh, the, the mainlands there of, of uh, uh, the Middle East. Uh, and so Cush is in that area uh, of what we know as modern-day Egypt today. And so he says, from beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers. So there's going to be worshipers from beyond the rivers of, of Cush. Uh, he says, uh, the daughter of my dispersed ones. So he's talking about his people are going to be dispersed and they are going to be brought back. They shall bring my offering. Uh, 
Uh, and, and so we'll just stop there for just a moment. So we, we see that the Jews were supposed to magnify the Lord's name before the Gentiles. And instead, what they had been doing is imitating the nations, the pagan nations, and disregarding God's name. And so the court of the Gentiles in the Jewish temple was supposed to be a place where Gentiles could talk and uh, about uh, talk with Jews about the true God and even pray to him. So if you looked at the temple courtyard, uh, the outer courtyard area inside the, the temple there in the tabernacle would have been inside the tent area there was the court of the Gentiles. That's where people who uh, were, were not of, uh, born of Jew could come uh, to worship God. Uh, also, and so the court of the Gentiles there supposed to be a place they could pray to God. Uh, but the religious leaders had made that area into a marketplace. We find that in Jesus' day. Remember, Jesus has to come in and overthrow the money changer tables. Uh, Jesus comes in and he's sitting one time and he's, he's watching everybody come and bring their offerings and put, putting them into the trumpets. People are making a clattering noise with all their offerings that they're bringing uh, into these trumpets as it's clattery, clattery, clattery. And then this little widow woman comes and brings her might and puts it in and it hardly even makes a tink, hardly even makes a sound. And Jesus says about her, she gave more than all these who've been giving. They had made this place a place for selling sacrifices and exchanging money. What kind of a testimony was that to the outsiders who were earnestly seeking the truth? Now, you were supposed to bring your offerings to the temple. So he's not saying don't bring your offerings. But they had made it a place where they were extorting people. So, so what would happen is they knew people who are traveling a long ways can always bring a lamb with them. People traveling a long ways might not always be able to bring turtle doves with them or, or other things for the offering. So you would come into the court of the Gentiles and you could purchase your offering there that you would then bring to the priest. Well, what they were doing is they were raising the prices sometimes putting the thumb on the scale to make things more expensive. They were extorting people uh, instead of giving things for, for a rightful price there. And so that was not being a good testimony to the outsiders uh, who were earnestly seeking the truth. And, and so what blessings does God promise for the Gentiles in the last days? Well, verse 9, he promises that the Gentiles shall be converted. He says, for at that time I will change the speech of who? The people's. The nations. He's talking about the Gentiles here. In, instead of calling on their false gods, he says, the Gentiles are going to call on the one true and living God, and they're going to have their lips purified. Uh, because what we say with our lips comes from the heart. And when you have clean lips, that indicates forgiven sin and a clean heart. But the Gentiles are going to do much more than call on the Lord and receive his cleansing. They're going to serve the Lord as one people and no longer be divided. Uh, notice what else he says there. That you'll change their speech to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord. And what's the last part? And serve, and serve with one accord. Uh, some versions say serve shoulder to shoulder. They're going to serve shoulder to shoulder. You know, the prophets taught that during the kingdom age, the Gentiles are going to go to Jerusalem to worship. They're going to serve the Lord. The, the God of Israel is going to be the Lord of all the earth. In fact, that's what we read in the New Testament, isn't it? That every nation, every tongue, every tribe is going to bow before the Lord, the King of kings, and profess him to be the Lord of all. That's what they're talking about here. They're going to come and be worshipers. 
before Jesus' death on the cross, there was a vast difference between the relationship of the Jews and the Gentiles to each other and to the Lord. But the middle wall had been that had been separating them had been taken down, and both could share in the spiritual blessings that come through faith in Christ. In fact, that's what we're taught in the New Testament in Romans 10, verse 12 and verse 13 that says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this miracle of God's grace is going to be demonstrated in the kingdom age as the Gentile nations turn and trust and worship the God of Israel. But then we see the blessings and the joy of the Lord upon the remnant. Notice the blessing, the bounteous blessing as we continue on. Now, we won't read verse 9 and verse 10 again, uh, although that does apply here, and we'll, we'll see how that applies here. But verse 11 goes on to say, On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. Do you get the picture of what he's saying? He's saying, On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you've rebelled against me. In other words, all of that sin that you've committed against me, all that rebellion against me, none of that's going to be put to shame for you. Notice what, we'll, go, we'll come back to that in a moment. He says, For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty or proud in my holy mountain, but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do, in, do no injustice, they shall speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouths a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. So we saw there's two promises in these verses. First of all, there's a promise of a regathering. Uh, he's giving a promise that one day his chosen people, the Jews, are going to be regathered. That's what he's talking about in verse 9 also. Uh, he's saying, uh, so he's talking about the Gentiles there, but he's also saying that they're going to uh, be drawn together with the, with the Jews. Uh, he's saying that he's going to give them a language uh, that, that's undistorted, unpolluted. He's going to give them a, a words to address God. One of the real evidences that we said that a person's been saved is there's a change in the way you talk. Your words change when you come to know Jesus because the Bible tells us out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, some people say, well, I just get under pressure and, and I'll mean those words I say, they just come out. But when the pressure comes, what's on the inside is going to come out. You squeeze the heart and whatever's in the heart is going to come out. But God says he's going to give them a pure language that they may call upon the name of the Lord. How's he going to do that? He's going to give them a new heart. He's going to give them a revived heart. In verse 13, notice he says, Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice. He's speaking of those that are regathered. He's speaking of the remnant. They're not going to speak any lies. Uh, we know Israel has gone back to the land of promise, but the Bible says there'll also be a spiritual restoration. In verse 13 there, uh, when he says that, that there's not going to be uh, found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. They're going to graze and lie down and none shall make them uh, afraid. And then as you continue on down, let's just read on down uh, verse 20 and on down to verse 20. He says, Sing, well, let's just go down to verse 20. We'll come back to verse 14 in a minute. So verse 20 says this. 
And maybe you can find that bin there. At that time, I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praise God among, praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. So in verse 20, he says there's going to be this great family gathering. He says you're going to be famous, you're going to be honored. It's certainly not that way tonight in Jerusalem and in Israel. Uh, that's a trouble spot on the, one of the worst places on, on this earth. It's not a name of honor. It's not an honor on the earth. But God says one of these days he's going to regather Israel. They're going to believe him. One of these days they're going to turn to God. And there's a marvelous promise here of that regathering when he says, I will bring you in at that time when I gather you together. There's also another promise in these verses. He also gives a promise of rejoicing. Now let's go back to verse 14 now. Sorry to jump you around there. But verse 14 says this, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time... I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. What he's saying here is he's saying, raise the rafters, be happy, celebrate. There's a time of joy ahead for the children of Israel. Now remember all that he's talked about in the first two chapters, and even in the beginning of chapter 3, the judgment that's coming. Now he says, sing, shout, praise the Lord, raise the rafters. There's this time of joy that's coming. Think about this for us as believers here tonight. Here's part of the application for us. I mean, think about this. You may be here and you're going through a hard time. Maybe you're even going through one of the saddest times in your life. Maybe you're going through a tearful time. Let me tell you this news from the Bible. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. God has some joy ahead for you. You may not see it right now. You may not even experience it right now, but joy comes in the morning. When you look at verse 17 there, one of the greatest verses in all the Bible there, especially in Zephaniah, it's an absolute marvelous picture of God. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. First of all, we see God is saving there. It says he's mighty, he'll save. He's a mighty savior. He is mighty to save. The writer of Hebrews says he is able to save to the uttermost them that come unto God by him. Jesus Christ himself is the mighty Savior. There's nobody that's too hard for the Lord to save. Nobody sitting right here or even watching online that Jesus Christ cannot save. He can forgive your sins and he can change your life. 
Not only that, but notice rejoicing. He will rejoice over you with gladness or with joy. You ever thought about who rejoices the most when a soul is saved? The Bible says, He that goes forth and weeps bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. In other words, it's a picture of one who goes out to sow the seed of the gospel of the word of God and comes back with a harvest, comes back having led people to faith in the Lord. When we win, when we have a part in winning somebody and leading somebody to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we get to rejoice. If you really want to rejoice, just lead somebody to Christ and the joy bells will begin ringing in your heart. But did you know that also the angels in heaven are rejoicing when somebody gets saved? In fact, in Luke chapter 15, when the Lord talked about uh, those lost things that were found, he uses this little statement and says, there is joy in the presence of the angels. I'm sure that the angels rejoice. But what that means even more importantly is there's another who is greater that is rejoicing, and that's the Lord himself. It's God who gets happy. It's God who... Who rejoices. The writer of Hebrews says that the Lord Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. On that cross, while Jesus was shedding his blood, he, he knew people would be saved. And his heart was filled with such joy that that joy overwhelmed any doubt about what he was doing, even in the midst of his death. Here the Lord's saving. Here the Lord is rejoicing. And notice also here the Lord is resting and we are resting in the Lord. It says he will quiet you by his love or he, you will rest in his love. The picture here is a beautiful figure of speech. God is pictured here in this verse as lovingly taking us like you would take a little baby up in your arms. When you take a little baby up in your arms, what do you do? You, know, you look at that baby, don't you? You try to tickle that little baby, get a little smile to come. Or you're feeding that baby, you're taking care of that baby, you're soothing that baby, you're loving on that baby. And this is the picture here, is that God takes us up in his loving arms and kisses us and hugs us, and we're just resting in his love. The Lord God in heaven will receive us unto himself and he rests in his love when we come to him. There's also going to be singing, verse 17 says. He will rejoice over you uh, with gladness. The Lord your God is in the midst. He will, it says in the very end there, he will exult over you with loud singing. That's a little bit different sometimes than what we do a lot of times in our churches, isn't it? We want to be reserved in our singing sometimes. But he says here, he's going to be exulting over you with loud singing. What a day that is going to be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, God is going to sing with a loud voice. God, the Holy Spirit, sings in Ephesians chapter 5 where it talks about being filled with the Spirit and singing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Jesus himself sings. You remember that night before he was crucified? He gathered with the disciples in the upper room. Uh, they instituted the Lord's Supper, and when they left, what did they do? They sang a hymn. They sang a hymn, and they went out. And Jesus was singing that night. 
Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12 says this about the Lord Jesus. It says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. When a church is in love with Jesus and when a church is seeing people saved and people are coming to the Lord, I dare say if we listen carefully, we could probably hear the Lord singing. He says he'll have joy over you with singing. Remember, he started and gave us that message in the middle of this book and told us you need a hiding place. There's not a better hiding place than in the arms of the Lord. Think about that. Think about that in relation to the New Testament. Remember the prodigal son? The one who took his inheritance and left his father in his household and he went away and he spent it all and he found himself there in a pig in a hog pen he was totally exposed he lost everything and there he was in that pig pen and he came to himself and he said I will arise and go to my father the Bible says when the father saw him a great way off he ran the father ran and fell on his neck and kissed him you could just see the Heavenly Father as he wraps his arms around a lost sinner who comes home. When you come home and you enter in through those pearly gates one day, you're going to fall right into the arms of Jesus, the arms of the Heavenly Father, and that'll be your resting place. Let me ask you this. Do you have the song of the Lord ringing in your heart? There's a song that we sing that says this. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Fear not, I am with you. Peace be still in all of life's ebb and flow. All my life was wrecked by sin and strife. Discord filled my heart with pain. Jesus swept across the broken strings, stirred the slumbering chords again. Though sometimes he leads through waters deep, trials fall across the way. Though sometimes the path seems rough and steep, see the footprints all the way, feasting on the riches of his grace, resting neath his sheltering wing. Always looking on his smiling face. That is why I shout and sing. And then it says this. Soon he's coming back to welcome me. Far beyond the starry sky. I shall wing my flight to worlds unknown. I shall reign with him on high. Sing the chorus with me. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. What a message that Zephaniah ends on. You hear this all the time. People talk about the Old Testament. Boy, it's such a book about God's judgment. God is angry, but over and over and over, you see in those prophets the message of hope, the message of grace that's offered to you tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for this wonderful, wonderful little book. But yet, Lord, such a powerful message, a message of your joy that we can have in your presence and that we can find rest and peace in your presence if we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So I pray tonight, Lord, that we have seen through the book of Zephaniah, we have heard, we have read it for ourselves, that you love us. And Lord, that you've made a way for us to be forgiven through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that if we are here tonight or we're watching online and we don't know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, let that be the first step for us tonight, to just call out to you and to ask for forgiveness of our sins. Lord, to admit that we have sinned against you. And Lord, then to, to repent of our sin, to turn away from it and to turn to follow you, to believe in what you have told us in your word that Jesus came and did, that he died on the cross in our place, was buried in the tomb and arose from the grave on the third day so that we could have eternal life forever if we would but trust in Jesus. Lord, not, don't let us continue on rebelling against you. Lord, I pray that we would come to that place of repentance to turn to you and to receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And Father, I pray that you'll help us to, maybe if we made that public that profession tonight, maybe we make it public also. May we share it there in the comments online. Uh, Lord, may those who are here who've made that decision come to me and talk to me later so we can follow up with them to, to follow through with believers' baptism. Lord, there are many of us here who are believers, and sometimes we get discouraged. We, we get down. We get depressed. And Lord, we sometimes even begin to lose hope wondering when is it all going to be over. Lord, what a reminder to us that we are in your presence even now, that we can enjoy and experience your peace and your rest even now. And Father, I pray that we will continue to look forward to the day when we will walk through those gates right into your arms, into your embrace. Father, I pray that we will do everything we can in the days that you allow us to live on this earth to continue to share the good news of the gospel with those around us so that they too could come into your presence in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. We ask for your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining with us there uh, online. Uh, let me get back over here because I did have a prayer request. Uh, this one was from Ella Thames about Katie Pugh. Uh, she has her follow-up PET scan uh, Friday this week. So remember Katie Pugh is on your prayer list there and giving you that update. But glad to have you with us tonight. We look forward to seeing you Sunday. Come and join us in person if you can. Uh, 9.15 is, is Sunday school. 10.30 is worship. Uh, we will be back online at 10.30 if you can't come and you want to join us there uh, online. So YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all those uh, phone live streaming will automatically call you there too. Uh, so thank you so much for being with us. We look forward to seeing you this coming Sunday. You have a blessed week. Thank you.